Good morning, everyone. I, uh, I sometimes feel like my wife, my wife's a fourth grade teacher and she stands at the front of the class and she's waiting for the children to be quiet so she can uh, get going. And uh, not that you're children, and I love the fact that you're talking and enjoying one another in fellowship. Isn't this great? On occasion, I, I look over notes or I'm reminded of the COVID time in our church history, and it's so great that we can be together and we can talk and fellowship and just enjoy one another's company. The Lord wants us uh, as believers to be together and enjoy one another, and uh, this passage today will even talk about that. And so it's a blessing for me. Uh, my name's Rod. I'm, I'm one, of the, uh, one of the preaching team members here, and on occasion I get to be up here and, and uh, share God's word with you. We're in Acts 10 today. My title is Such a Giving God, and we're going to see the way our God gives. He gives in different ways, and it, it's wonderful to watch it unfold, but sometimes there's sort of a, a resistance to it. We're not so sure. Is this really of you, Lord? Is this really something you want to give us? And we're not sure. We have, we have to make sense of it. Maybe you've been like this at times where you were, someone was trying to give or God was trying to give and you weren't so sure. This happened years ago. Uh, good friends of ours, uh, they, um, they were dating. This was many years ago. They're college students. And uh, he was, my, my friend Dwight, he, he lived in Oregon, but he was attending college up in Canada. And Brenda was the gal that he, he was, uh, had fallen in love with, and she was Canadian. So one day, he's, he's ready to take it to the next level. And so he's visiting her in her house in Canada. They're in one of the rooms, just the two of them. And, they're ta and, and his heart's pounding. He's nervous because this is the moment. And he's got a special gift that he's going to give her. Well, unfortunately, she's in a bad mood. She's just not having it. I don't even remember the issue, but she's angry. She's kind of edgy, and so he's, he's like, oh, boy. So he's got this gift. Now, in Canada, their version of M&Ms are called Smarties. It's the same idea as an M&M, a little different, but more or less same idea, and they're in a box. So he's got this box of Smarties, her favorite candy, but it's special. He's, he's added something to it. And so she's kind of upset, and he's like, you know what? I have something for you. I want to give you this. And he goes, here, have some Smarties. And she's like, I don't want any Smarties right now. And so then she goes into whatever's bugging her, right? And she's going on and on. And he's like, oh, no, his heart's pounding like this. <laughs> but he thinks he's going to win the day. It's going to work out. So then he pushes again. He's like, no, no, you know, you seem a little upset, whatever. Here, just have some, open this box and have some Smarties. And she's like, I really don't want any Smarties. And so she keeps arguing. And he tries a third time. Just have some. And she takes the box, opens it, and shoves it in his face. She's like, I don't want any Smarties. You have some Smarties. And as she does this, the Smarties come out, and so does the engagement ring. <laughs> and it flops out. And she sees it, and she's like, Oh, and then she starts crying, and she can't believe it. And needless to say, the mood changed in a big way for her. She said yes, and they got engaged. And now they're probably 40 years later, they're still happily married. He had this big idea to give her something very special, and she just wasn't quite ready for it until she realized, wow, okay, this was amazing. We're looking at a passage today where God gives 
a vision. It actually has to do with food, too, just like that story I told you. But it has to do with so much more than food. And God does it for a reason. And it's an amazing gift that he gives the church. But in our story, Peter is the one who isn't quite ready to receive it. And we're going to see how he responds and how God works through all of it anyway. My title, Such a Giving God. And we're going to see God just giving and giving in today's passage as we read through it. There's quite a few verses. I'm going to try and keep us moving right through it. We have a lot to cover. But I want you to be listening for and watching how God gives. First way God gives, you'll see in this first section. So let me say a word of prayer, and then we'll jump right into Acts chapter 10. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for how you work in the details of people's lives and in church history to accomplish this, the greater good that you have. And as you do it, Lord, there's always just giving on your part. The ways you show up and bless and for us to just be willing to receive it, to be obedient, to be humble and grateful. So thank you, Lord, for this passage. Open our hearts to your truth. Make, make this time count in our walks with you. We've worshiped you. We've prayed. We've looked to you. Now, Lord, we're looking to you through your word. Speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. All right, let's look. Beginning in verse 1, as history unfolds here, in the book of Acts. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. First way God gives, I want us to just take to heart today a title. We were such a giving God. He gives Cornelius a vision. He gives him a vision, and what a vision it is. And just to kind of back up and look a little at the context and Caesarea and Cornelius, uh, he, first of all, he, he's, a, he's a centurion. You may have noticed, but centurions always just are presented so well in the New Testament. It's just kind of unique and interesting. This may you probably heard this before, but one had such great faith, his servant is healed by Jesus. Another confesses Jesus as the Son of God when he's dying on the cross. And then another centurion we're reading about right now who is devout and gives generously to poor. So centurions just in the New Testament in a way are presented in a positive way. This particular centurion we learn is in Caesarea. That's on the Mediterranean Sea, about 65 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And uh, it, was, it was a very beautiful city in those days. Uh, it was actually considered the capital for the Roman Empire in Palestine. Palestine would, of course, include the, the nation of Israel. And all of that region or area, the capital for the Romans was Caesarea. And it had been given to Herod the Great uh, many years prior by Caesar Augustus. 
and it was, uh, no, I didn't have the year here, but it was uh, during a, a period of about 12 years, Herod the Great built it into a magnificent port city. There was a theater, an amphitheater. There was a huge racetrack where they could have horse uh, races. There was a, a palace that was beautiful. And so Herod the Great, and I don't even remember what the, the city was called, something different. But as a way of saying, thank you, Caesar Augustus, for giving me this city, he changed the name to Caesarea. And he built up this amazing city. And that's where Cornelius is. And I, I'm emphasizing this for a few reasons. I'll, I'll get there. But So he's in this spectacular place. And he's doing well for himself also. As it says, he's a centurion over the Italian cohort. Now, that particular regiment was one you had to volunteer to be a part of. And it was very prestigious to be in it because it was extremely loyal to Rome. Its job was to, to protect the interest of Rome no matter what. And so there was an Italian cohort in Caesarea because that's the Roman capital in that uh, part of the world. And so these soldiers uh, were in this sort of prestigious group, and, and he's one of the leaders, maybe the one who was the head over them all, this Cornelius. So he's got a sense of prestige. He's got power. He was at least over 100 troops, if not more, and he's well off. He's got a large home. We'll learn later he can host many people. It says he sent two of his servants. That's only two of his servants, plural. So, so Cornelius is well off. How many servants does he have? How many of us would send two of our servants anywhere, right? To even have a servant. Who even has a servant? And he has, he has so many, he picks the two best, and, and he sends them off. And here's the point I want to make, though. He, had, he lived in the right place. He had power. He had prestige. But he still sought the Lord. Because he was smart enough to know that all the treasures and riches in this world wouldn't mean anything in the next. So he lifts his heart to an almighty God. First of all, it says he was devout. A devout man meant he was above corruption. He had a noble character. He didn't take advantage of the people or misuse his power. He could have, but he didn't. He was devout. We've heard the phrase, power corrupts. It didn't corrupt Cornelius. And then it says he was God-fearing. It meant that he honored the Lord. It meant that he observed God's commandments, the Ten Commandments. He rejected the gods of Roman Greek or polytheism in favor of the one true almighty God. And he was so committed to God that his influence impacted his whole household. Because it says the entire household feared and honored the law. He isn't even under the law, but he's living like he is. He has a heart for the needs of others. It says he, he gave to those in need. He gave alms. Some Bible verses say or translations say to the poor. So he's lifting his prayers, his worship to God, but he's giving his resources to those in need. And God honors it. We read that about three in the afternoon, which corresponds to the Jewish time of prayer, he gets this vision. He's probably in prayer himself. And God sees him, and God shows up. And it's just such a beautiful thing, isn't it? See, God's always giving to us. He gives us life. He gives us blessings. He gives us people that care for us and are there for us. 
God is always giving and sustaining. And he does this for Cornelius. Cornelius responds by giving back, giving his prayers, giving to people in need. And God says, I'm going to give you even more. And so he gives him a vision. And this is just like Jesus promised. Luke 11, 9 and 10 says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Where everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. He is seeking the Lord, and God says, okay, I'll respond. And so he sends this, this angel to give him this vision. What a gift from God. God responds in such a gracious and loving way, but he ultimately gives him so much more than the vision of an angel, which we'll see in a little while. And before I move to the next point, I want us to just take to heart a few things about Cornelius, because it can be challenging when you look at his life, if you let it be. When we can actually say, Lord, it says he prayed continually. Do I pray like that? And so often we're in our own head so much, our own thoughts consuming us. But are they lifted to the Lord in prayer? And he prays. He says continually he is praying. Am I like Cornelius, Lord? And then another way to look and say, Lord, it says he gave generously alms to those in need. Do I do that? And it says his, his actions were so significant that it, that it was lifted up as a memorial before God. That's a big statement. Lee and I were able to travel over the, the, the summer. We went to places like Rome and Athens, and we see all these memorials carved in marble, just stunningly beautiful, still there. And it used this phrase, a memorial. His prayers, his gifts were a memorial before God. And I read that, and I think, wow, that's convicting. Do I give like that to people? Do I help people in need like Cornelius did? He wasn't even a Christian yet. He's a Roman soldier. He didn't have to give to anyone. Most powerful nation on earth, he's one of the leaders. He didn't have to give to anyone, but he does. Something in his heart says, i got to help people. That's just a powerful thing to really consider this man's life and say, Lord, let me be more like that. Let me be impacted and stirred to pray, to give, to seek you like Cornelius did. So we serve such a giving God. Point number one, God gives Cornelius a vision. Now let's see where it goes. Second thing we're going to look at, God gives Peter a vision and a mission. All right, let's continue the, the story. I'll begin in verse 9 or continue in verse 9. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. 
Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who's called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. For I have sent them. Second point, God gives Peter a vision and a mission. Peter is staying in Joppa at a tanner's house. This is 30 miles straight south from Caesarea. And we see the house is right there on the sea. It says it was uh, the sixth hour. Peter probably had gone up at that time to pray because that's when Jews would pray. They often prayed three times a day, godly men in the Old Testament. Daniel prayed three times a day, morning, noon, afternoon, or early evening. Uh, David also prayed at that time. So it makes sense that Peter was up uh, there and he went up there to pray at that time. It then, at that time, though, he also, while praying, gets hungry. It's noon. Maybe he's like, I'm starving. I'm ready for lunch. And it says he fell into a trance. He's either having an intense time of prayer or he's so hungry that he somehow falls into a trance. If you've ever been really, really hungry, it's like, I'm dying. I don't know if it was to that degree, but it happens. And it's interesting to me that God fills his soul before his stomach. Because Peter's really hungry. And he says to him, hey, make me something to eat. So they're down there making him something to eat. And God is like, I'm going to fill your soul before your stomach. And I'm going to give you a vision. So God gives him this vision with all of these animals. All kinds of animals implies it was clean and unclean animals. So then just to talk about that for a moment. You know how the Jews live with very specific uh, regulations, limitations on what they could eat. And it's detailed in the Old Testament, Leviticus 11, among other passages, describe what they can and can't eat. And so, uh, as an example, they can't eat camels. Those are unclean. They can't eat badgers. They can't eat certain birds like eagles, ravens. They can't eat rats and weasels. I know you're like, good, that's great. Who wants to eat a rat or a weasel, right? I'm just letting you know. I'm just teaching you the Bible here. So they couldn't eat lizards either. So keep that in mind. All this is fine with me. I like lizards, but I don't want to eat them, so this is all fine. But you know the big one they couldn't eat. I'm I'm saving it for now. They could not eat pork. Those of you who love the pulled pork sandwich, you're not going to have any of that if you were Jewish. And then the hardest thing of all, of course, they couldn't have bacon. I mean, that, I just don't know. I just can't make sense of it. I had a club sandwich yesterday. Oh, I wish you could have been there. Because... You could have seen me eat it, and you would have seen how good it was, because it was unbelievable. But the club sandwich, bacon and turkey, forget about it. They couldn't have any of those things. They're all unclean. And so this sheet comes down, which it is from the Lord. He knows it, right? He knows he's dealing with the Lord here. The sheet from heaven makes it clear it's from God. And it's saying, you know, arise, kill, and eat. In giving Peter this vision, this actually isn't, in a sense, brand new. Because you remember what Jesus said. This happened in Mark chapter 7. And I'm just going to read the passage beginning in verse 15. This is a moment that happened with Jesus. 
Jesus says, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. So Jesus had dealt with this topic already. Jesus fulfilled the law so that he could free everyone from the law. So this has already, already taken place, but they're still living uh, in, in obedience to the law in terms of the dietary restrictions. Peter isn't ready for it, which isn't that surprising because they had strong convictions. But what's funny is how Peter reacts. What does he say, verse 14? By no means, Lord. As a rule, if God tells you to do something, you should not respond with, by no means, Lord. Okay, keep that in mind. That's not humble gratitude and obedience, yes. But resistance, no. But you know what? This is so Peter, isn't it? That's why we love him in the Bible, because we can relate to him. He's a regular person with his own ideas and convictions, like all of us. And he's just so Peter. This is the third time he has re directly refused God's will. Uh, when Jesus said he would die on the cross, Peter said, never, Lord. When Jesus tried to wash Peter's feet, Peter said, surely not, Lord. So Peter had a way of pushing back against God. Like, no, that's not going to happen, God. It always does. But he kind of thinks that he, you know, it shouldn't. And so he's just being genuine and he's pushing back. As a rule, don't use the phrase, by no means, Lord. If he tells you to do something, have a heart to obey and do it. But Peter, as I've said, lived in such obedience to the dietary restrictions of the law. And so he said he had never had anything impure or unclean. The thing that they lived under wasn't just the unclean foods. It was a strictness about something that might have become impure that would have otherwise been clean. And I'll get to, and this leads to an important thing, but so they, if, they, if a Gentile were, were to give them uh, uh, some beef, that's fine but they couldn't receive it from the Gentile because maybe the Gentile prepared the beef with utensils that had touched pork. And now the beef is unclean. It's impure. And so they, they, couldn't, they couldn't have anything anywhere near or around a Gentile because maybe it had become um, uh, impure. And so he says both phrases, unclean or impure, I have never done that. And so God has to tell him, how many times did you notice? Three times. The thing about Peter and three. How many times did he deny the Lord? Three times. How many times did Jesus ask Peter, do you love me? Three times. How many times does Peter need this vision? Three times. God is just emphasizing it and emphasizing it and emphasizing it. He wants to get through to him. And it all comes down to 
this gift of a vision to fulfill something much bigger than eating food. I've talked to you about the unclean thing and the issues with Gentiles from the time Jewish boys and girls were, were little. They were raised with this very important truth, this standard. You don't go in the home of a Gentile because anything you touch could make you unclean. So you just don't go in their homes. You don't have a meal with them because you, you will become unclean. You don't have them in your home because now everything they touch is unclean. And so there's this great distance between them and the Gentiles, people who weren't Jewish. But I have to ask you, how can you reach someone with the love of Jesus if you don't want anything to do with them? How can you embrace someone in Christ's love if everything about you says, stay away from me? This is such an important turning point for the nation of Israel, for the disciples. Because how in the world can they reach people with the love of Christ if they don't adjust their thinking about all people? And so God gives this all-important, powerful, powerful vision at this exact time to Peter. And Peter's a little confused. He comes down, but the, the vision is said, not only can you eat, but he says, go with these three men. So he comes down from the roof, and he honors what God has said. The men fill him in on what has happened, and he goes with them. And I wanted you to hear what happens. So they make the journey. They arrive there in Caesarea. And um, while he's there, Cornelius fills him in on everything. And then here's what we read in verse 28, still chapter 10. This is Peter. It says, As he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then uh, why you sent for me. No barriers. God says no more calling certain people unclean. And then uh, Cornelius goes on to fill in, here's why I sent for you, Peter. He recounts the vision. I already read it in the first verses that, he, that Cornelius received. So he fills Peter in, and after Peter hears it, I'm going to read verse 34 and 35, and these are, these are huge. It's been written that hundreds of years of racial prejudice is swept away in these two verses. Listen to these. This is 34 and 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. It all changed right there. Any nation, they fear the Lord. Cornelius feared the Lord. He's doing what is right, and God responds to that. When Jesus rose from the dead, before he ascended, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. In this moment, we see Jesus through this, this vision that he gives Peter, removing a huge roadblock to what would get in the way. This is a turning point in outreach, in shining the light, the walls, the barriers are coming down. And the thing we need to take to heart before my third and final point is, 
Am I like Peter? Do I need to get that vision one time, two times, three times, a hundred times? What's keeping me from reaching people with the love of Christ? What's keeping me from just sharing the truth about Jesus? From opening my home, my heart, my life. I just think that we have to look at this and say, Lord, use me like you used Peter. Send me where you will. If there's a Cornelius somewhere that you want me to talk to, Lord, direct my steps. And don't let any kind of prejudice or issues get in the way of that. Peter went up on that roof to pray, and the number one thing he really wanted was just food. <laughs> he just wanted to feed his flesh. And God's like, oh, I want to use you for so much more than that. I want to do so much more in your life than just feeding you food. And I think so often we're like, Lord, I'm just hungry. <laughs> I just want a club sandwich, you know. And God is like, no, no, there's so much more I want to do in your life. And I love this moment where Peter's really hungry and God's like, I'm going to feed your soul before I feed your flesh. And in doing that, you're going to bless so many. So, many. so there we see that, how God gives a vision and a mission, and Peter's able to be a part of it. Well, now let's see what happens as he arrives. I want you to hear what he shares, and I want to see the final way God gives, because this is just wonderful. It's beautiful, and it's, it's powerful. So let's look at this, verse 36. I'll continue with the reading. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Now this is Peter sharing with Cornelius in his household and everyone gathered. A lot of people are there. And listen to what, what Peter says. Peace through Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Talk about bringing the truth about Jesus. Cornelius is a devout man. He prays, he gives, but he's not there yet because the most important truth of all he hadn't heard, but now he does. And so Peter just brings point after point that peace with God comes through Jesus, that Jesus is Lord of all, that he was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit and power, that Jesus did good and healed people who were under the power of the devil, that Jesus was crucified but raised on the third day, seen by witnesses, Peter emphasizes that they ate and drank with him to prove that his resurrection was a bodily resurrection, not just spirit, but in the flesh God raised him up, that he will judge the living and the dead, 
and that all prophets testify about him. And then he ends with that everyone who believes in his name will be forgiven of their sins. As good as Cornelius was, he was generous, he was godly, he led his family to fear the Lord, he helped the poor, he prayed all the time. He did everything right that you would think a person should be or do. I mean, he had it all. He was wealthy. He was living in a beautiful place. He had power, and he was devout. But he didn't have what he needed most, saving faith in Jesus Christ. And anyone who would ever talk to you about, oh, this man just seems like yeah, this person has faith. They pray to God, and they're a good person. You say, well, Cornelius was too. But God knew he wasn't there yet. He still needed Jesus. Everyone still needs Jesus. And if they didn't, God would have left Cornelius alone just like he was because he was already devout and a pretty good guy. But it wasn't enough. He needed the Savior. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus He offers forgiveness, and as the truth is preached, God is responding to the hearts of all those gathered. And I I love this passage because when I I, I didn't pray the sinner's prayer specifically at a time that I remember. I prayed it many times. Don't get me wrong. But I was a high school kid invited to a youth group. And as I heard about Jesus for the first time, I wasn't raised in the church. And as I heard about Jesus for the first time, and I'm hearing the truth, I believed as I heard it. There was no doubt in my heart. This is the truth I've been waiting to hear my whole life. This is what I want. And as I heard it, I believed. That's what happens here. They're just believing as they hear it. Because listen to what happens. I'm going to keep reading verse 44 to the end of the chapter. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. But Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they, were, and they asked him to remain for some days Before Peter even sort of gives an altar call, just preaching about Jesus, they're believing, and the Spirit is poured out. I talk about such a giving God, and this is the ultimate. He gives his Holy Spirit. It started by giving a vision, another vision, a mission, and now the greatest gift of all, God himself. I mean, an angel's an amazing gift to get that. But now God shows up in spirit because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God and he just pours out on all who are gathered there. We serve such a giving God. He isn't chintzy. He doesn't cheap us. He just pours out his love and his grace and his spirit when we believe. And I just love this phrase, can anyone keep them from being baptized? In other words, there might be some opposition normally because they're Gentiles, but the answer is, of course not. And they have them baptized, and there is rejoicing. It says they stays for several days. Think of the fellowship that Peter and the others enjoyed in that home. The food and the fellowship. 
I bet this was the first time as Peter celebrated teaching him about Jesus, big meals are served in this centurion's home. I'll ask Peter when I get to heaven, but I bet he had some crispy fried bacon as he sat there. All right, what's, what's this? This is so good. What are you serving me now? Right? What an amazing story. And he's fellowshipping with these new, these new believers in Jesus. The family of God is just growing because the Lord gave him a mission and he went there without resistance, without holding him off. He just went there to share the love and truth of Jesus. It is such a great thing when God gives us this privilege. Uh, some years ago when I was pastoring, uh, uh, the Lord brought a, a young couple to, to the church. And um, it, was, it was just so great to see the church embrace this uh, young couple. And at the time, it was, a, it was, a, it was predominantly a Caucasian congregation, but there was such a love and embracing. And uh, an African-American woman and a, and a Latino man who were together came in, and they were going through a rough time in life. Uh, they were both coming out of uh, bad marriages. One was abusive. She was in it. So they're in divorce proceedings, and they were together. They had been homeless and living in a car or in motels. And they just had a humble heart to find the Lord. And we just embraced him as a church. And we just loved him in Jesus' name. And, and not the harsh, legalistic, but just, just sharing truth with them. And they stayed. And they started to realize we're loved here. And they got involved here and there and started attending studies. And the heart was, you know, you can't, you know, living in a car, being in motels, how can we help? Well, a church family opened their home. They had a room that she could stay in. So she moved in with that church family. They had an adult son who had a home with, with had roommate. So the, 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 the man, young man, moved in there. So the church, by, by being involved in the church, now they had housing that was affordable and, and, and very nice for them in two different places. And they continued to get involved more and more. But, of course, the biggest thing is where you at spiritually. And she was already a believer. He wasn't. I'll never forget after a Wednesday night study, Bible study, he comes into my office and he's like, I want to become a Christian. I want to pray. And, and one of the great privileges to lead him to, to faith in Jesus. And soon after that, uh, both of them, we want to be baptized. And so to baptize both of them in the church, just like this, you know, up front, and for them to share their testimonies. And it was such a beautiful, today they're, in time they got married, and they're just doing great. And God worked through all that. And as a church, we were so blessed to be a part of it. Just by loving them in Jesus' name and sharing the truth. And I want to give you that as an encouragement. Let's be like Peter. Lord, wherever you're sending me, I'll go. And don't let anything get in the way of, of where you want me to go. And Lord, if I start to resist, please reveal that and take me where I need to be. Cornelius entered the family of God, eternal life, forgiveness in Jesus' name because Peter arrived and shared the truth. And there's a neat little final story I'll share about Cornelius that is, that is beautiful. Cornelius was a common name in the Roman world since 82 B.C. when Cornelius Sola liberated 10,000 slaves. All of them then took their patron's name as they established themselves in Roman society. So 10,000 slaves decided, you know what? I'm free because of Cornelius Sola. My new name is Cornelius in honor of him. 
this Cornelius we're reading about was almost certainly a descendant of one of those former slaves. And you look at where he is in life, how wealthy, how prestigious, all the power, and you think, wow, he had it made. And yet, he wasn't truly free until he found faith in Jesus. And now, this Cornelius was truly free of his sin, of punishment of death. He now had eternal life because Peter brought him the truth of the gospel. So let's keep that in mind. I leave that as a challenge. And maybe you're in a place today where you're like, you're more like Cornelius. It's not that you don't have any people watching online. It's not that you don't have a heart for God. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. Or if you're watching online, you, of course, you, you, know, you have a heart for God. But maybe there's still the, that, that distance, that disconnect. And I would say if you're in that place, yield your heart fully to the Lord. Receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. He loved you enough to die on the cross for your sins, past, present, and future. And God accepted that sacrifice as perfect and good and complete so that by faith in Jesus, we're forgiven, we have eternal life, and we are children of God forever. Could God be any more giving than that? What a giving God we serve. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us like you do, so undeserved, and we know it. But you love us still. You love us at our best, at our worst. And you just continue to pursue us and chase us with your love. So thank you. Lord, I pray that in response to your love, we'd turn from sin. And we'd turn straight to you. To confess, to be broken and humble. And to yield our lives all over again. Use us how you will. Be glorified in our lives. We want to serve you wherever you lead, whatever the call is. We want to answer, Lord. Thank you for this powerful story. Thank you for your love and goodness and grace. We give you all the praise, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hold on. There we go. There we go. Thank you, Rod. Um, I've invited invited a friend up, but first I want to have... um, Brad, and I'm just throwing this at you. I want to throw a little context into what Kelly, this is Kelly, by the way, visiting from Houston. She just so happens to be Cash's sister. And we have Amy over here who is also Cash's sister and they've been having a good vacation out here. And it's also Kelly's birthday. (laughs) I thought I'd give her this gift of embarrassing her, so. Yes, yeah, well, we will later on. Um, But anyway, Brad, can you give a little context to this and I'll have Kelly read it, if you can? Sure. Um, Can I hear him? There I am. Wow. Rod, that was was great. I'm not hearing myself like I want to, but that's weird. Okay, it'll work. God is so good and he is so extravagant with his love for us. And I heard, the phrase came into my mind the other day from, uh, from scripture, from the, from the King James Version. It's, they looked to him and their faces were lightened. And it just reminded me that the times in my life when I have experienced the greatest freedom and growth in 
Jesus Christ is when, when I look to him and I'm spending time with him and I'm admiring him and thinking on him and he's, we're just together and with one another, which is what he wants. And so I, I said, where is that? So I looked it up in scripture and it's in Psalm 34 and I opened up Psalm 34 and it was just a treasure trove of God's goodness. It's just like, oh my God, this is so good. And so, um, so it kind of tied into the song we're gonna sing as well, which, uh, I'll pull it up here real quick before Kelly jumps in. Uh, the prophet Zephaniah was talking about the, was prophesying about the rest, uh, restoring of Jerusalem. And he says, the Lord God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And it's just, how much does God love you? The redeemed, he's singing, he's dancing because he loves you so much. And with that, here's uh, for the beginning of Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. Amen.
Father, thank you for this day. Just thank you for the love we have out here. And I want to ask everybody, just kept in mind who you're going to bless today. Keep that in mind. And we have something else going on that... Sherry, come on up. Do you want the mic here? Good morning, everybody. You can have a seat. How, yeah, thank you. Good morning, everybody. There we go. Okay. All right. So school has started for some of our kids. Some kids are fortunate enough to have a couple weeks, maybe a week and a half or so before school starts after Labor Day. But I would like to take the time this morning. We're going to cover all of our students in prayer from preschool through college. All right. So how it's going to work is I'm going to have everyone who's in 12th grade and below, you're going to come up and we're going to pray for you. And then Josh, you'll pray for um, the young adults and the college kids. Okay, so come on up. Here, we'll just stand right here. Yeah, we can just stand on the steps. Okay, while they're getting situated, anywhere, you can stand in the back. You and Danielle can stand in the back. All right. While they get situated. Also, I do want to tell you, mm, Sammy. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> All right, anybody else? I'll find you. All right. Uh, there are, this year, what we're going to do is something called prayer partners. So I have all of these kids have a prayer sheet outside on the uh, missions table in the back. So if you would take one of their names, there's a little bit of info about them and pray for them throughout the school year. We're doing this not only to cover our kids in prayer, but also their families. So please check out the table before you leave. There's also a sign, like a sign-in sheet that tells, you, tells me your name and which uh, student you took so I can make sure you get all of the right information. All right? And you know how I get a little bit over-emotional whenever I see them all on stage. So I'm going to really do my best to get through um, my prayer without looking at them. <laughs> I, okay, sorry, I know. I have time. It's only 11.09. <laughs> so I have to tell you that summer is always really low, right? Like, we never have a lot of kids. Everyone's on vacation, and that's totally okay. Like, no guilt, nothing like that. It's just, you know, summer. We're all kind of in and out. And today, we have 17 kids up here on this stage, my friends, we have not, like this is a record number for the last two and a half years that I've been here, 17 kids. Like the only other time we've had more is Easter, we had 21 kids, okay? So to have 17 kids here today, it's really exciting. It's exciting for me, it's exciting for all of our volunteers who work with all of you, just because we, that means we get time to pour into them as well, okay. I'm stalling so I can pull myself together a little bit. Okay, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for a new school year. I thank you for the opportunity that the kids have to go and be lights um, in their places of education. God, today we take time to lift them up before you. So I just pray, God, that you will... Cover their, oh gosh. I pray for their eyes, God. 
that you will protect their eyes from the things that they see. I pray that you will protect their hearts, that only things that are from you would enter them. I pray for their ears, God, that you will protect them from the things of this world that they should not hear. I pray for their friendships and their relationships, God, that you will bring them people who will uplift them, that you will surround them with kindness and gentleness. I pray that you will bring them Christ-centered relationships that will help them grow in their relationship with you. I pray for all of their sports activities they're in, all of their practices that they go to, all the parents who are taking them to these practices and to school drop-ups. God, I just pray that you will give them strength. And God, especially, we pray for safety. I ask that you will just put a wall, a hedge of guarding angels around each of these children's schools, God, that you will protect them. May no harm enter any of the places, God, that they are at. I pray for their families, God, that you will give them wisdom and discernment as they fill out all the back-to-school paperwork, as they make choices for classes and teachers, God. I also pray that you would just give them the strength to stand up for their kids when they need to stand up. God, I pray that you will just tell them the words that they need to speak to be the advocate for their children that they need to be. God, I pray for all the medical situations that may be going on that will happen this school year. God, I just pray that you will be in every single place that the kids go to, that the kids come to and from. And I pray especially that this place, that Lighthouse, will just be a place of safety and refuge for them each week. That you will be with us as we pour into them, not just as a children's ministry and a youth ministry staff, God, but just also as a congregation. I just pray that you will... Give us the words that they need every week. God, we lift them up to you. We know that they're your babies before they're ours. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so college kids, if I could have any college-age students, if you would also like to join. I know Chris is upstairs. Are you going to come down? Yeah? Okay. Here, Josh. No, they can stay. Just have them stay. Bow your heads with me. Um, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for all the young adults out here in my house, the ones who are a part of this family but not here today. Um, God, I pray that you are the light that guides their steps. In a world where we can choose wherever you go, wherever we can go, and whatever you do want to do, God, I pray that you guide our steps, that we might go to the right people and the right places and make the right decisions. And Father, always be with us in your grace and your love. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you. All right. Thank you, church. I appreciate you. We all love you so much. So what I'm going to do since I have them all here is I'm going to have the parents. You can come up and dismiss. you'll get your kids from up here, okay? So you don't have to go back across the street. I do have the sign-out sheet, so just make sure you give me a quick initial. Other than that, thank you, my church. I love you all so much. Have a great week, and we will see you next week.